Welcome to the Quartering Podcast for Friday, the 2nd of December. First up, Elon Musk snaps and bans Kanye West from Twitter, betraying his commitment to free speech. A little bit early today, so if you're seeing this, you're probably maybe not subscribed, so I hope that you will subscribe. But uh, I've got some kind of breaking news I wanted to get at earlier this morning, especially since I'm sick and I couldn't sleep last night. Anyway, um, Elon Musk has revealed, I think, to us uh, a crack in his armor that he probably doesn't exactly believe in free speech absolutism or he didn't understand what that would be. Uh, He's also revealed for the second time now that he will run Twitter based on his personal emotions. The first time uh, appealing to the emotional side of parents, talking about keeping Alex off the platform, uh, because he had lost his first son. And then last night, a bizarre banning of Kanye West. Now, many people will call, have said that I have been very pro-Elon Musk, and that has been true. But I do believe that this is the second major misstep in terms of at least following through on what he said he would deliver with Twitter. And so I think we need to call that out. Um, let's get to the story. So, yay West... Kanye West suspended from Twitter. Now, last night, uh, he was initially, everything that happened yesterday, obviously, totally bizarro world. Um, Goes on AJ's show, says a bunch of wild things. Now, I've slept on it, and, you know, I, I still feel like you should be able to say those things. You know, the First Amendment is a thing, especially here, obviously, in the United States. I still don't believe this weird fifth dimensional chess thing people keep pushing like, oh, he's just being Christ-like and blah, 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 blah. Maybe maybe he's intending that, but whatever. the best I can give you right now is that I'm open to being convinced and that maybe he does intend to be to try to be projecting that, but his mania is not allowing him to. I think that's the middle ground I'm at right now with the Jeremy, you're crazy. He's playing fifth dimensional chess. You're, you're an idiot. You're a hater. Those things may be true. But, you know, you, you don't go on, a, you know, a, uh, several, you know, high profile shows and say the things that Kanye West did. Um, I, I think if you're in sound mind, and I'll explain why I say that. If Kanye West really wanted to get his message out there, and also the message that he loves everybody. I don't know if saying that you love that bad guy from World War II is the way you do that. He has some legitimate gripes about the music industry, the entertainment industry, the people around him who are trying to ruin his life. He has legitimate gripes talking about how um, things that he said got his bank accounts frozen. But uh, I don't know if Mr. Jeffrey's accounts were ever frozen I, or, uh, you know, other people who have done like literally heinous things. He's just said things. Um, and unfortunately now, because he's gone to the extreme, whatever value, you know, whatever valid points he had about that are just going to be buried. Um, and it's unfortunate because there's probably some valid points in there, especially like in the way that the uneven enforcement of, you know, outrage. So he goes on AJ yesterday, says some bizarre things, uh, role plays as a, a net and a yoohoo, whatever. Okay. 
lets lets them tweet from his account. Um, all this stuff. Uh, curiously, Milo wasn't there. Hmm. Um. Then last night he goes on essentially an unhinged tweet storm, where he's tweeting a bunch of wild stuff again, unhinged or not. Or you could tell me he's playing fifth dimensional chess. I don't know. What we can agree on is that we agree he should be allowed to do that. He should be allowed to say whatever crazy stuff he wants, as long as it isn't like incitement, for example. So he posts this picture of the symbol. Uh, it is a now I every, now like there's a bunch of like legitimate, um, you know, the comment sections are filling up with a bunch of people trying to excuse every little thing. History experts. Uh, they claim, I know the symbol has been used for other things, but it was also more, most popularly used for the uh, bad guys from WW2 and was wrapped in the Star of David. And he says, love everybody, hashtag love speech. Instead of hate speech, right? He also, before this, um, resided with the fashion company Balenciaga, who is in its own bizarre uh, embroilment. Again, the people who who are convinced he's playing fifth dimensional chess, I'll you know you're entitled to believe that you're say, you'll say well he's just trying to be Christ like he's saying, you know uh, I forgive them blah 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 blah. Okay, to me he's just trying to say outrageous things for to, to, because they're outrageous. Literally nobody is backing that fashion brand after um, they put kids in harm's way and all this other weird stuff that's coming out about him. But Ye told them, you know. That's not true. So he puts this out. He says, well, everyone, we had a nice run. Jesus is king. Um, sure. Uh, again, he, he tweets out all this stuff. He says, let's just always remember this is my final tweet. And he, he's got like an out of shape Elon Musk getting sprayed with a hose. Um, and, you know, he had a bunch of wild tweets, including saying things like, well, I like bad guy from WW2. Now, Here's where hopefully we can come together, okay? I still believe, even if, I, even if what he said, even if I believe that he is not playing fifth dimensional chess and he's just on an unhinged rant, or if you believe that he's playing fifth dimensional chess and he's a super genius, right? I think we both agree that he should not have been banned by Elon Musk. Elon Musk offered what I would consider a BS excuse saying that he was inciting bad behavior which is absolutely false. He posted an image, an image that did not contain text telling people to do anything. Um, he didn't call for anyone to do anything. Um, in Elon's defense, he had texted Ye several times to try and calm him down, to talk him off the ledge. We know this because Ye West went to Truth Social to leak Elon's text messages. Okay, where first he texted Elon to say, or Elon had texted him like, bro, chill out, essentially. Like, uh, Elon texts him, sorry, but you have gone too far. Um, you know, and then Ye writes, who made you the judge? Well, he's the owner of the platform. Then Ye gets a 12-hour suspension, which is ultimately upgraded to a, a, some people think it's permanent. I don't know. This, again, would go directly against what Elon said about bannings not, never being permanent, but he's already 
gone against what he said he would do on this platform by not being a free speech absolutist. He writes, I tried my best. Despite that, he again violated our rule against incitement to bad behavior. Account will be suspended. Again, I don't believe that. I don't believe that he was inciting anything. And you know what? Elon took the appropriate amount of heat for this because he's not he's not following through on what he said. There are a lot of people, in, including like very, very religious people who are b- backing behind some of the things like uh, Kanye is saying, putting Christ first. Uh, he's, you know, about his removing, you know, spicy images from, from Twitter. You know, those are opinions to have. Um, you know, and Elon replied, this is fine to the picture of him making fun of Elon, apparently. I wouldn't exactly say Kanye West is an incredibly great physical condition these days either. But, um, you know, him essentially saying, yeah, you can make fun of me. That's fine. Um, and then he wrote the other thing, the image, and that didn't go over well. Now, Elon did take playing heat now from uh, a lot of people, and I don't like this victory lap. He posts F around and find out. Nuance bro with a good ticket. This ain't it. Um, there are people that are Elon fanboys. I am, I am overwhelmingly positive about things that he does. But uh, no, I don't think he effed around and found out. I think that he said some heinous things, but things that are protected by the First Amendment. And... Elon Musk said specifically that as long as it doesn't violate the law, he wants to allow it on Twitter. Well, that is simply not true. We know this now because of the way he reacted to uh, Kanye's post. What does it all mean? Well, I think we know. We know that Elon's going to run Twitter with emotion at times. And... That's something that he's got to get over. He's got to get people, you know, placed underneath him that don't act like this. Um, you can see Alex Fenn should not be permanent unless laws are broken. If multiple repeat of violations in specific time windows, say 90 days, increase time up period each time, exact, example, 12 hours, 3 days, 7 days, 14 days, resets after 90 days. Um, there's always been a problem with Twitter's description of its policy. The word suspension definite, by definition means temporary, Twitter uses it to describe permanent bans, accounts suspended on pages. This should also be fixed. I'm sure that there are people that got in his ear that said, you know, you gotta, you gotta do something about this. I don't think, I don't think, you know, I think that Elon was trying to help them, help him. We know this because of, you know, the text messages. He was texting him directly saying like, bro, chill out, essentially. Um, he locked his account. Then he went and posted his text messages to Truth Social, which is what I think really means, what really pushed him over the edge, in my opinion. Now, there is a hateful imagery rule, okay, hate groups and, and stuff like that, but why is Antifa symbols allowed on the platform? Why are, you know, and by the way, there are plenty of images of that image that are historically relevant that, uh, you know, you should be allowed to post. Um, there's context there. So I, I'm, not, I'm not supportive of this. Per, if it's a permanent ban, I'm definitely not in support. If it's a temporary ban to save him from himself, so to speak, 
that is a little, it cuts a little less, but this does not violate what Elon said it would take to get suspended. So it is a little concerning, especially to much of his base who uh, saw basically uh, Elon with win after win after win, the way he's hosting Twitter. And next up today, Tim Pool reveals YouTube is begging creators for help with shady stuff. Interesting development going on, like, allegedly behind the scenes at YouTube. Now, I have not been contacted slash enlisted to um, defend YouTube, but I do believe uh, Tim Pool has been. And interestingly enough, uh, the whole thing kind of stinks. Uh, apparently, Susan Wojcicki or YouTube is trying to enlist YouTubers to lobby on their behalf for Section 230 against the to protect the current iteration of Section 230, which is what social media platforms use to avoid any kind of culpability for things on their platform. The reason they use this for culpability or to, to avoid it is by saying that they simply provide the platform and they are not indeed a publisher. The problem with this is that most platforms do in fact act as a publisher or exercise some sort of editorial decision-making over content. YouTube does not simply allow people to post content on their platform. There's all sorts of, sorts of algorithms in place. There's shadow banning, de-boosting, then there's boosting content. They've got their grubby fingers all over every piece of content you see, which is including, including why it's so difficult to uh, find videos from independent content creators like myself, uh, which is why people who subscribe make such a huge difference. And so I hope that you'll continue to do that. Uh, Section 230 is something that is necessary. However, um, platforms have far too long remained, um, you know, guilt-free, untouchable because of these protections, while simultaneously, in my opinion, in many cases, acting as publishers and not just platforms. And that's where the difference lies. This starts as a tweet from Tim Pool. And I want to talk about this because obviously it's important to me. Uh, it's important in terms of freedom of speech and it's important in terms of people actually being able to, being able to um, you know, compete on YouTube and uh, grow their own content. So Tim puts out this tweet the other day and I had bookmarked it because I wanted to cover it. And then obviously Kanye happened. Um, Tim Pool writes, Google is trying to get YouTubers to lobby on their behalf to protect the current iteration of Section 230. You'll notice videos and social media posts defending it. These are not organic. I have another call with Google today. And you see Sargon of Akkad saying, the way YouTube has treated its content creators, why should we come to its defense? We have been deplatformed, demonetized, tyrannicized by an extremely restrictive set of editorial policies imposed by Lord Susan Wojcicki. Section 230 was supposed to prevent this. And I 100% agree. Section 230 is essentially, in spirit, a policy that is supposed to allow platforms to avoid, you know, let's say somebody posts something heinous on their platform, uh, you know, it pr protects them from getting sued into oblivion, okay? This is a reasonable protection. The problem is somewhere around 2014, 2015, and increasingly so from 2016 until current day, 
platforms like YouTube and Twitter have increasingly, now Twitter allegedly has changed that, but we've really seen very little change in terms of that. Um, you know, it's been only a few weeks, but Elon's left everyone with kind of a sour taste in their mouth after uh, some backtracking this week. But Facebook, Instagram, these all have, uh, we've talked about many times on this channel, uh, you know, a bias against conservatives, for example. Um, a bias uh, towards, quote unquote, what they call authoritative content. This is editorializing. This is not being a platform. This is being a publisher, in my opinion. When you tell, uh, uh, you know, the users that, hey, this version of the content is more authoritative and therefore you should watch it, watch it as opposed to them making their own decisions, they are acting as a publisher. It is, that is my belief, of course. And then you see what's going on. Tech Group urges Department of Justice to take sides in Supreme Court's Section 230 battle. This is just from a few days ago. On uh, this article here, tech firms send Supreme Court a warning. This is from nine hours ago. Tech firms are warning Supreme Court that weakening liability protections for online speech could put all types of service providers, including those operating offline, at risk of costly business wrecking litigation. Now, I want to pause a minute and allow you to feel bad for the billionaires, to feel bad for Susan Wojcicki, feel bad for YouTube. Look, YouTube has provided me with immense opportunity, immense reach to talk to people. And by the way, I think I'm going to just do a live stream this afternoon uh, around three o'clock. So I hope that you'll stop by and hang out. I think everyone's kind of a little burnt out in general. So I thought that might be kind of fun to just have a chill stream. But, uh, you know, they're trying to say like, oh, wow, if you make us, if you open us up to more litigation, then this is going to be bad for you. But what they're ignoring is the fact that they have done this to themselves. They have inserted themselves in the editorial process. They have not act, acted like mere platforms where people could post content. We see over the past several years very troubling trends of non-mainstream, I don't even want to say conservative, but non-mainstream decisions being or uh, opinions being deboosted, blacklisted, deplatformed. We see people that questioned the poke, people that postulated, had hypotheses about where certain things originated, things of that nature. They were banned, removed from these platforms only to now have these very same platforms uh, change their opinions on things. The big picture is a key law governing online speech is facing its first ever fundamental test before the high court, driving the news companies and parties to uh, the suits made early filings and statements this week in two cases that will test long held practices in the tech industry based on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which largely protects platforms from liability for people's posts. Twitter versus Temina asked whether platforms can be held to violate anti-terry laws if they have policies against pro-terry content. And then you have Gonzalez versus Google, which is relatives of the victims of another attack are suing Google on YouTube for allegedly help turn viewers into these extreme, extreme views people. Now, people are saying 
you know, by eviscerating any meaning, meaningful limitation on aiding and abetting liability, it threatens a multitude of third parties with liability and public opprobrium for bad acts, things of that nature. Now, here's the thing. Google will file a formal reply to these cases. And you see, again, tech groups urge Department of Justice to take sides in Supreme Court's Section 230 decision. It's important, you know, in a letter Monday to Attorney General Merrick Garland shared exclusively with the Technology 202, the Chamber of Progress urged the Justice Department to file a brief pushing back on calls to hold platforms accountable for amplifying harmful content. This is the frustrating thing. I agree with that. I agree that platforms should have some level of protection if they are acting in a hands-off manner. The problem is platforms like Google, YouTube, like Twitter, like Facebook, they do not simply, uh, they are not simply innocent bystanders and therefore I don't think should receive the full benefits of Section 230. I think Section 230 should be looked at from two perspectives, not just from a, a position of changing it, but what about just enforcing it, saying that, look, you're a content platform and you are not acting like a platform therefore you do not qualify for section 230 protection anymore it should incentivize platforms to protect first amendment rights uh but also it, they have it's like they want their cake and they to eat it too they have plausible deniability via section 230 but they aren't acting like that and that every possible chance they get they are uh acting like a, pu a publisher and not a platform Legal experts say the first time the first time the high court will directly weigh in on the law could have sweeping ramifications for how companies handle user-generated content. The group argued that Section 230 also allows platforms to provide critical services to users, including related to medical services, and that it's crucial for the court not to limit the protections to ensure continued availability of life-saving reproductive resources. What? Again, the Chamber of Progress lists Google, Meta, Amazon, Apple, and dozens of other tech companies as corporate partners on its website, but none of these companies have a vote of, on our work. The Justice Department did not return requests for comment. Um, as a candidate, President Biden tore into the law, saying it should be immediately revoked, and that companies like Facebook should be submitted to civil liability if they cause harm. Since becoming president, Biden has said little on the topic. Well, that's because until very recently, they had absolutely served his purposes and served his needs by you know, exacting, tipping the scales against conservatives, in, in my opinion. So I think that Section 230 in its, in its like actuals, you know, in its purest form is good, but these platforms have acted like they want their cake and eat it too. So I think, Tim, bringing this up, you should probably be watching any content creators that seem to be shilling for YouTube and Google on this topic because it is absolutely going to be inorganic. You see Brad Palumbo, and I'm not a paid or lobbied at Google, but I do support maintaining current Section 230. Yes, I agree too, but the platforms aren't acting like platforms are acting like publishers. And so they don't shouldn't have the same level of protection, at least in my opinion. And next up, Elon Musk just destroyed fake news about Twitter in real time, and it's glorious. It's been a wild day, uh, and it's been a wild week for Twitter, a tumultuous week, a week that Elon probably... Uh, wished would just go away as he's managed to alienate a good bit of the staunch 
free speech absolutist backers uh, and his followers. And also, by the way, you know, these are people that only believed that in many cases because only believe that Twitter would give us free speech absolutism because Elon said it would. Elon said, as long as it's not illegal, it will be allowed. And that's just not the case. It hasn't been the case. Um, but the left and the mainstream media establishment is still trying to destroy Twitter by scaring off advertisers, by uh, publishing coordinated uh, hit pieces. As you see, uh, you'll see this article, Gizmodo. You'll see basically the same article gets published by Gizmodo, Bloomberg, um, Vanity Fair, uh, you know, all these people talking about the same bologna sausage um, hate speech all at once, all in a coordinated fashion. I'm sure there's nothing going on there. Hate speech on Twitter skyrocketed while Elon said he was winning. New research shows use of the N-word tripled in the week leading up to Musk congratulating his team for fighting hate speech, according to data on tweets containing mean words. Again, Hate speech is and would be considered free speech. So are there be more N-words on Twitter? Yeah, probably. Do I think that, that, that you know, minimizing the use of that word is probably good for Twitter's advertisers? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, I do believe that there needs to be a, a, a deal struck between freedom of speech on this platform and the reality that needs to make money. Um, I don't think that Twitter could ever really operate under the you know free speech absolutism tenet that Elon Musk promised, but it is what he said. Now, on November 23rd, Elon Musk tweeted, the hate speech impressions were down by one third on the platform, along with a graph and a victorious congratulations to his employees. During the same period, the actual use of hate speech on Twitter rose exponentially, according to new research. A center from the stu this a study from the Center of Countering Digital Hate. Oh wow! It's like when a chiropractor finds out you have a back problem. Um, shows that use of the N word on Twitter had tripled in the weeks leading up to Musk's tweet compared to at daily average for the entire month prior. Tweets containing all sorts of other spicy words also saw dramatic spikes. The Center for Countering Digital Hate's research uses Band Brandwatch, an analytics platform. They found the N word was used thirty thousand times. From November 18th through the 24th, that's actually like very little if you think about it. The week leading up to the Musk claims that's 260% higher than the weekly average during that week. A slur for gay men rose 91%. I'm assuming that's the bundle of sticks word. Now, what? make no mistake about it. What the mainstream media is trying to do right now is destroy Twitter. That's absolutely what they're trying to do. They're trying to cripple it. They're trying to hurt his advertisers. They're trying to uh, make him pay the price for supporting free speech. They're trying to uh, get him in line. That's not going to happen. You know, the data doesn't directly contradict Musk's claims. Interesting. However, it does demonstrate that Musk's victory lap may have been disingenuous, suggesting that things are improving on Twitter while the platform was in fact being leveraged as a tool for hate. When the media does it, when they hate on like white people, for example, or um, straight white men or uh, whatever, that's, that's not a tool for hate, so as long as they use different words, right? Uh, and all these articles, you know, you see Musk's Twitter won't die. Look at Telegram. Telegram is an even bigger social network run by a libertarian billionaire. Its populators should dispel all notions that Twitter will disappear. Well, yeah, of course it will. Vanity Fair. 
No one's going to end Twitter except for Elon, as Musk Bluebird reels the arms race for an alternative is on. Is, is there a race for an alternative? I mean, how many people are really looking for an alternative? Is there a place more interesting? Is there a place more interesting than Twitter right now? Like, if, if, if you look up, like, Elon Musk hate speech, how many articles are written about this? New York Times, hate speech is on the rise 45 minutes ago. CNN, hate speech dramatically surges on Twitter. Uh, in India, Musk's Twitter risks opening the floodgates on hate speech. What is hate speech exactly? It's a group of words, a nebulous group of words that nobody really knows. Um, and they use it to scare off advertisers. I don't really know how, what their end game is here outside of just destroying Twitter and crippling Elon Musk. He wrote in response to this today, uh, hate speech impressions, hashtag, or def defined by number of times a tweet was viewed, continues to decline despite significant user growth. So essentially what they're reporting on is to... Did you get that itch, Hucky? Huck's still upstairs with me because he's still feeling like Sir Humps a lot. Hey, good boy. Move your good puppy. He's there, I promise. Hey, good boy. Okay. So one of these reports is tracking the number of times it was used. The other of these reports are tracking the number of times it was seen. A distinct difference. Now, we all know how easy bot networks are and how it is to you know, spam things out and get things artificially trending. Now, obviously, I don't have any evidence of this, but I think it would be ridiculous for me not to at least point out the fact that there is at least some likelihood that um, some bad actors are, are putting together. I mean, 30,000 tweets isn't even that many, to be honest with you. It's not. You could have a bot do that in an hour, like a low-level bot. Uh, you say freedom of speech does not mean freedom of reach. Negativity should and will get less reach than positivity. Again, he's measuring impressions, meaning how often it's sent. So maybe people are typing the N-word, but it's getting deboosted. That's probably the more effective way to look at it. In fact, it's basically at an all-time low on this chart. Elon says there are about 500 million tweets a day. Okay, so that puts it in perspective. 500 million tweets per day and billions of impressions. So hate speech are less than 0.1% of what's actually seen on Twitter. And you see, like, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the press says, like, this guy, sorry, but the press says differently. Oh, is, wow. I mean, the press must be telling the truth. LOL. The New York Times and their, quote, researchers. Breaking hate speech on Twitter has jumped since Elon Musk took over, quote, unquote, researchers found. Is this somewhat like the, um, the uh, online trust and safety experts or whatever? That, that really just turned out to be hall monitor loser Twitter users. And here's and then here's 57 minutes ago. Elon Musk replies directly to the New York Times and says, utterly false. How about Viva Frey? Did you review the ADL quote findings? Odd that the article wouldn't include a link so that others can actually analyze their methodology and figures, etc. Also particularly curious since the ADL said in 2021 was a record high year for terrible incidents in the United States, and 2018 had 4.2 million bad tweets. 
You see Greg here, casually Greg. There was plenty of hate speech before. You all just liked it. There's all a bunch like, I hate white people, kind of stuff like that. Yeah. White people are embarrassing. Ban white men. That, that's not actually counted as hate speech. Of course, New York Times put this article behind a paywall too. So Elon is fighting a lot of battles on a lot of fronts. And you know, part of me just wants him to hopefully for things to calm down, for him to figure it out. And for him to focus on new features instead of constantly interjecting himself in that day's argument. But also, that kind of is what makes Twitter pretty dang in interesting right now, doesn't it? Like, the whole idea, uh, everything that's going on. Like, Elon is not letting this media narrative run wild. I mean, this tweet got 13,000 likes. Elon's reply in an hour already has 70,000 likes. So, it's like he's catching the media outright lying. Twitter is now serving 90 billion tweet impressions per day. 90 billion. So they find a few thousand uh, N-words and they think, oh, well, this is definitely on the rise. Interesting fact, 27 sources who asked not to be named told me exclusively that a recent massive study by 11 independent research groups that New York Times makes up news by publishing BS for clicks. And next up, Elon Musk just broke the internet with the Hunter Biden Twitter files. Jail is coming. Hashtag Twitter. Shout out to uh, anyone who was at my record-breaking live stream last night. We peaked over 28,000 people as uh, Matt Ta Taibbi uh, dropped some of the most uh, insane reporting that we've seen. Maybe bigger than as big as Watergate. I don't know. Is that, is that crazy to say? I know a lot of people are blackpilled a little bit and thinking, oh gosh, nothing's going to happen to this. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, certainly don't, I certainly don't agree with that. I think that something is going to happen. I also think uh, this is probably the biggest story in the modern era. You know how I know that? Wasn't on CNN's website. Wasn't on MSNBC. No one covered it. Nobody. Why? Well, because... It makes them look horrible. Now, I'm going to go through uh, the actual thread and explain why each of these things are kind of a big deal. Um, also, we will be live streaming later today. There is a part two. I, I predict it'll be around four o'clock again, like yesterday. But make sure you stay tuned. Maybe we can break another record that way. Okay, let's start with the thread. Thread the Twitter files. What you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. The Twitter Files is an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It's a Frankensteinian tale of human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. Twitter is, in its conception, was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication, making a true real-time global conversation possible for the first time. In its early conception, Twitter more than lived up to its mission statement, giving people the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add these barriers. Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. Slowly, over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well. First a little, then more often, 
than constantly. By the way, M-T-A-I-B-B-I at Twitter. Definitely give him a follow. I feel shocked that I hadn't heard of him before this. I, I probably did, but I didn't remember his name. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Now we get to the receipts. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, quote, more to review from the Biden team. The reply would come back, quote, handled. Now, this is a big deal. This is before Joe Biden is even president. Okay, this is October 24th. I assume there were some before this. I'm sure there's more after it. Okay. Uh, last night on the live stream, my viewers, wonderful viewers, pulled up some of these tweets and sent me the archives. They were all pictures of Hunter. Some of them were like, um, uh, should probably have been flagged because they were, well, I don't know, because Twitter allows uh, prawn anyway. But we have, what, a half dozen Twitter users here, uh, most of which I found now have been removed from the platform. And it's just like handled these. So who at the Biden team emailed someone at Twitter? And, and basically what this is is infringing on, we don't know if they're United States citizens, but I think it's safe to assume at least some of them were, a direct infringement on their First Amendment rights. This is a government wielding the tools of social media to squash First Amendment reporting and, and, and freedom of speech. Celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. Here we have an email. I grabbed the first one under SI, uh, meaning I banned them, I think. Uh, defer to safety on the high profile second one. So meaning they banned this person and then they deferred to safety on James Woods. This is when James Woods got banned. So this is again, Twitter seemingly working in collusion. An additional report from the DNC from the De Democratic National Committee, was emailing Twitter directly to get James Woods banned. He's got a lawsuit brewing, and he's already commented on that. Both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. Bad for both of them, okay? However, the system was not balanced. It was based on contacts. Because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation, there were more channels, more ways to complain, open to the left, Democrats, than the right. Here is contributions by party recipient. 2020, in 2020, 98.47% of donations went to Democrats. 99.7% in 2022, 96.38%. Four, we'll just call it 96.4% in 2018. I'd like to talk to this person who donated $451 to Republicans. Who are you at Twitter in 2022? By the way, who don't, donates money to politicians? I don't, I don't understand that. Anyway, the resulting slant in content moderation decisions is visible in the documents you're about to read. However, it's also the assessment of multiple current and high former level executives. The Twitter files, part one, how and why Twitter blocked the president's son's laptop story. On October 14th, 2020, just two weeks before the election, just a few weeks before the election, the New York Post published uh, the Biden secret emails and expose based on the content of the abandoned computer. 
Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be, quote, unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool reserved for only the most extreme of cases, like CP. White House spokeswoman Kaylee McEnany was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from the Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn, who seethed, quote, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. The email read, she's been locked out of her account simply for talking about the New York Post story. All she did was cite the story in firsthand reporting that she had been reported by other outlets and not disputed by the Biden campaign. I need an answer immediately on how or why she will be, when she will be unlocked. I also don't appreciate how nobody on this team called me regarding the news that you'll be censoring news articles, like I said, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days leading up to the election. This led to public policy executive Caroline Strom to send out a polite WTF query. Several employees noted that there was tension between the comms and policy team who had little slash less control over moderation and than the safety and trust safety and trust team. Here, hi team, are you able to look a closer look here? Strom's note returned the answer that the laptop story had been removed for a violation of the company's quote, hacked materials policy. Uh, Carolyn, per checking the user was bounced by site integrity, that's SI, for violating our hacked materials policy, adding them here for further insights and guidance. Although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks, there's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey, with former head of legal policy and trust, Vijaya Gotti, playing a key role. Prison. Quote, they just freelanced it, is how one former employee characterized the decision. Hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that it wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. You can see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Vijaya Gotti and former Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth. Wonder why they're both gone. And comms official Trenton Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for making this, marking this as unsafe, asking, hey, what's going on here? Katie writes, will we also mark similar stories unsafe because Fox News was covering it? So they're asking, like, are we just censoring the story from everybody? By this point, quote, Everyone knew we were effed, said one former employee, but the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to err. Yoel writes, the policy basis is hack materials, though as discussed, this is an emerging situation where facts remain unclear, given the severe risks here and the lessons of 2016. We're erring on the side of including a warning and preventing this content from being amplified. Ajaya, what is the warning that will come up? Yoel says... When you click the link, it'll say it's unsafe. Then Ian Plunkett says, whatever we do in the comms, this will become a biased claim for Jack pre-hearing indefinitely, immediately, meaning we're going to get called out on this. Let's make it clear we're proactively but cautiously interpreting this through the lens of hacked materials policy and allowing the link with a warning and significant deboosting, shadow banning. So they're just trying to get their story straight here. Former vice president of global comms asks, Quote, can we truthfully claim that this is a part of the policy? Meaning, do we actually have any evidence of this? 
to which this is the bombshells here to which former deputy counsel lawyer Jim Baker seems to advise staying the non-course because, quote, caution is warranted, essentially saying everybody get on the same page with this lie, in my opinion. I support the conclusion that we need more facts to assess whether the materials were hacked. At this stage, however, it is reasonable for us to assume that they may have been. So caution is warranted. We simply need more information. Yeah, right. Also disbarment there, I think. A fundamental problem with tech companies and content moderation, many people in charge of speech know or care little about speech and have been told the basics by outsiders. In one humorous exchange on day one, Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna reaches out to Gotti to gently suggest she hop on the phone and talk about the backlash to this. Khanna was the only Democratic official I could find in the files who bothered expressing any concern. Gotti replies quickly, Immediately diving into the weeds of Twitter policy, unaware Kana is more worried about the Bill of Rights. Happy to jump on the phone, blah, 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 blah. Kana tries to reroute the conversation through the First Amendment, mention of which is generally hard to find in the files. So they write, this seems to be a violation of the First Amendment principles. It is. If there is a hack of classified information or other information that would expose a serious crime, and New York Times was to publish it, I think that the New York Times should have that right. A journalist should not be held accountable for the illegal actions of the source unless they actively aided in the hack, saying, even if this was hacked materials, they should be able to report on it. Based take. Now, later, it seems like they're just worried about blowback, saying, I believe Twitter itself should curtail what it recommends or puts it in trending news, and your policy against Q groups are all good. It's a hard balance. But in the heat of the presidential campaign, restricting dissemination of newspaper articles, even if the New York Post is far right, seems like it will invite more backlash than it will do good. So essentially, they're really just worried about potential backlash, but they make a good point. So, you know, half-based. Within a day, the public policy, Lauren Culbertson, remember, I'll be live streaming today. They're having a Q&A today. Uh, and more information. So make sure you, uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe down below so you get notified when I go live. Um, saying that they pulled some people on the Hill and they're not happy. Then NetChoice lets Twitter know a bloodbath awaits in the upcoming Capitol Hill hearings with members saying it's a tipping point, complaining that tech has grown so big they cannot even regulate themselves. Um, they're talking about this is an access Hollywood moment. Um, you know, essentially then, this is another bombshell here. The excess Hollywood woman, I think, is the grab them by the P word thing. Democrats, meanwhile, complain that companies are inept. They let conservatives muddy the water and make the Biden campaign. Now, look, this is Democratic lawmaker. So, okay, this is an email uh, containing a chilling passage relaying Democratic lawmakers' attitudes. They want more moderation. And as far as the Bill of Rights, it's not absolute. So this is an email from a politician, okay? The Democrats were in agreement, or um, wait, sorry, who's this from Sasbo or Zabo? I don't know if the S is silent or not. Um, writing, within a day, public head of policy received a ghastly letter from Carl Zasbo of the research firm NetChoice, which had already pulled 12 members of Congress. Okay, so that's who this person is. The Democrats were in agreement. Social media needs to moderate more because they're corrupting democracy and making all quotations truth relative. When pushed on how the government might insist on that, consistent with the First Amendment, 
they demurred, quote, the First Amendment isn't absolute. Even though it is. These are Democratic leaders. Democratic leaders said that. Isn't that insane? Then there's this. The problem with the hacked materials ruling, several sources said, was that they normally require an official slash law enforcement actually finding a hack. But such a finding never appears throughout what one executive describes as a whirlwind 24-hour company-wide. So they never had any evidence that it was hacked. And they just lied. That's why this is such a big bombshell. And they worked hand-in-hand, hand-in-pocket with the Democratic National Committee to silence people's First Amendment rights. This is a massive breach, a massive story. Make sure you share this around. I try to summarize it as quick as I can as, 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 and give you the context of why it's super important. If you Make sure you subscribe down below so you get notified when we stream. I'm assuming it's going to be around 3 or 4 o'clock today based on just a gut feeling of when Elon's going to announce it. And you're going to want to not miss this. This is one of the biggest stories maybe of, of my life to report on. And it's a real honor to have you here with me. And last up today, Apple CEO runs in fear as he's questioned about shutting down Chinese protests and human rights. It's been an absolutely brutal week for Tim Apple, or Tim Cook, uh, the CEO of Apple, as he's chosen to pick fights on many fronts after initially uh, picking a fight seemingly with Elon Musk and Twitter by removing $25 million a quarter in advertising until further notice. He then was called to Capitol Hill uh, to answer for some very interesting decisions, including one from a timing perspective that looks awfully suspicious, turning off a very important feature of the Apple iPhone just two weeks before um, the, the uh, freedom gatherings in China began. And while attending Capitol Hill, there was a pretty interesting uh, engineering or in, uh, uh, in what is the word of a journalist who apparently is still doing their job cornered him and it didn't go very well. I want to start with how this started. Apple's help Apple helps the Chinese communists suppress protests. While journalists are trying to pressure Apple into dumping Twitter from the App Store, Apple already is betting the needed Chinese Communist Party at the expense of protesters in China. With protesters with protests spreading across China over Winnie the Pooh's zero coup strategy. Apple has restricted the use of AirDrop on iPhones and Apple devices in the country. Protesters, use, prote protesters had used AirDrop to bypass the communist regime's censorship of the internet and communicate directly with other protesters by forming a local network of devices that don't need the internet to communicate. Apple's new iOS update, released November 9th, restricted that feature. Now users can only set up the AirDrop to accept messages from everyone for just 10 minutes, whereas previously it could be permanent. Now protesters would have to go into their phones every 10 minutes to reset their airdrop settings to continue to communicate, which would be a reasonable explanation for the iOS change if it was uniform. But according to Quartz, this only applies to iPhones sold in mainland China. I mean, you might make an excuse for it uh, as like a bandwidth thing or whatever, but he only chose to do that in China, meaning I think it's reasonable for people to uh, question if the Chinese government asked them to do that. 
Don't you think? I think it's reasonable. This is not the first time that Apple has made business decisions that exclusively benefit the Chinese Communist Party. Back in 2019, Apple removed an app from Hong Kong protesters that were Hong Kong protesters who were using to crowdsource their locations of protests and police from the App Store. Last year, Apple banned customers from engraving political phrases on Apple devices in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and China, including references to voting rights in the Tiananmen Square incident. John Hassan says, Apple consistently helps China crack down on civil protests, truly evil stuff. This is a tweet showing, Apple has released a software update limiting the use of airdrop in China in light of recent protests. This other one, New York Times, Apple removes app that Hong Kong help Hong Kong protesters track the police. Apple bans political engravings. We already talked about this stuff, but it's true. Then Tim Cook goes to Capitol Hill for some damage control. And I want to show you the actual uh, interview because it looks pretty hilarious. So Apple CEO torched for dodging questions about Chinese protests. Shame on him. Tim Cook met with U.S. lawmakers on Capitol Hill, but ignored Fox's questions. Apple CEO Tim Cook is taking heat for refusing to answer questions from a Fox business reporter on protests in China. Shame on him. Former NBA player Eanes Cantor Freedom said on Friday, calling out Apple for making billions of dollars off slave labor from China every year. And Fox and Friends First, the outspoken critic of China's behaviors, um, asked, it's just so sad to me to see these CEOs are picking money and business over their morals, values, and principles. Cantor Freedom told Carly Shimkus and Todd don't really care. While on Capitol Hill for a meeting with the House GOP lawmakers, Cook was pressed by Fox Business Hillary Vaughn on the nature of Apple's business in China. Mr. Cook, do you support Chinese people's rights to protest? Vaughn asked with no response from Cook. Do you have any reaction to the factory workers that were beaten and detained for protesting the coup lockdowns? Do you regret restricting airdrop access that protesters used to evade surveillance from Chinese government? Do you think it's problematic to do business with the Communist Party of China when they suppress human rights, she followed up. Cook did not respond. Cook was pressured, uh, or Cook was pressed on the company's App Store rules as well as changes in the airdrop feature for Chinese devices, which Fox and Friends host Brian Kilmeade argued could eliminate the footprint for communication. You can't do business in China without doing the bidding of the Chinese Communist Party. Fox and Friends Pete host Pete's Hegseth said Friday, so he's willing to tinker with the idea of taking conservative apps off in our country. But when it comes to the dictators in China, they say jump, he says, how high? Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio joined Hannity on Thursday to recap the meeting. I felt it was a productive conversation. I'm still very nervous about the impact and influence China has in so many areas of our economy and our culture. With Republicans sealing control of the House, key leaders have vowed to further investigate China's creeping influence in America among other probes, including, of course, the president's son's computer. I mean, it's, it's an interesting timing, right? Piper Sandler cuts estimates now for Apple's December quarter as China worries mount. Analysts at Piper Sandler on Thursday cut their revenue and iPhone sales estimates for Apple's December quarter as Beijing's strict lockdown crimp production at the world's biggest iPhone factory in Zhengzhou, China. The brokerage now expects $119 billion in revenue for the current quarter against an earlier projection of 127.3, with iPhone sales about $75 million against 80, 74 million against 83 million previously expected. More than 50% of assembled iPhones come from Foxconn Sengsao plant. Majority 
of the disruptions took place in the month of December, where utilization of the plant may have fallen to 50% or lower. China's manufacturing and services activities shrank further in November and seven-month lows, official data showed, stung by the country's zero-coof policy and rising infections that analysts say will hurt the economy well into 2023. Well, maybe we shouldn't be so dependent on China. I mean, hashtag just saying. Hashtag just perhaps saying. Saying not, you know, saying without saying it. Mayhaps. Of course, Elon then also followed up, saying he had met with Apple CEO Tim Cook and resolved the misunderstanding after several tweets going after the company. Now, what we don't know is if Apple is actually going to restore any of the advertising that they had done, because it doesn't look like they will. At least not currently. I thought it was pretty interesting watching him, you know, here, Jackie Henrik, Tim Cook on the Hill. Silent, silent, silent. Then she then asked if he regrets restricting airdrops, so he didn't answer any of the questions. I suppose I'm not surprised. But I mean, this is, this is, this is what happens with, you know, globalization. Here's a bit of the clip. Do you support the Chinese people's right to protest? Simple yes would be fine there, don't you think? Do you have any reaction to the factory workers that were beaten and detained for protesting COVID lockdowns? A simple uh, people have a right to peacefully assemble would have been fine there. See, what happens is a lot of these CEOs, you know, they get in, they're not American anymore. They're not worried about American interest. They, in fact, are more loyal to China because Americans are weak. They need that new iPhone. They need that new thing. China doesn't care. They'll just ban it. By the way, uh, Doug McNabb points out, where's ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, New York Times? I mean, it's deafening silence. Do you regret restricting airdrop access that protesters used to evade surveillance from the Chinese government? Look at he's slowing down there. She's trying to shield him, this other woman. Do you think it's problematic to do business with this the trying to cut her off. Look Chinese at it go over party there. when they suppress human rights? I mean, like, what an absolute coward. Now, a lot of people point out, hey, Elon's got a, a factory for Tesla in China. Yes and no. You know, that's all fair, too. Apparently, he wants to charge 30% for the comment. It should be a very simple yes or no. And like Twitter, you know, conservatives are definitely pouncing on this. Apple CEO Tim Cook runs in panic from Fox reporter asking about colluding with the CCP to silence freedom protesters. That's about how I would describe it. Clay Travis, Apple CEO Tim Cook refuses to say whether he supports Chinese people's right to protest or regretting shutting down the Chinese people's ability to use their iPhones to communicate during his visit. I'd say that um, most of these CEOs are pretty evil. It's pretty sad when, you know, the problem is that these companies were fine making a ton of money, but then they get to be publicly traded and they need to make all of the money, which means they have to sell themselves out to, uh, to China. I mean, essentially, um, and other areas of the world where there's terrible things going on. For example, there are areas in the Middle East um, how they treat women. Look at look at the freaking World Cup, right? Everyone's fine, you know, with the World Cup, and uh, we're all the feminists talking about that. They don't care, you know, because 
they never really cared in the first place. Mm-hmm.